make sure I got this set up right. Let me get my glasses back on. No fog. That's a good thing. Well, for those of y'all in here, you obviously know that I am not Joe Sanders, that I'm not Jared Law, uh, but for those who might be joining us uh, online this morning, uh, Joe is continuing on his sabbatical. I uh, had a chance to talk to him Friday on the phone, uh, sounded a little different, sounded a little rested. Uh, and I will tell you without naming names that uh, Alan and David and I received some photographic evidence that Joe is indeed getting some rest. So I would just ask you to please continue to pray for Joe, for Mindy, for the family uh, as, as they continue uh, on this sabbatical time. My name is Bennett Murph. I'm one of the elders uh, here at TSF been given the privilege of sharing with you this morning. Now, we're blessed here to have Joe, to have Jared, uh, Joe Parle. Uh, we've got friends of the church, former staff men members, Matt Prine, uh, Gerard Figarelli comes from time to time. Uh, when none of them are available, uh, here we go. Now, I will tell you that I am using the same source material that they use, uh, so I am, I'm guessing we're going to be fine. Go ahead and turn in your Bible to Hebrews 11, verse 7, and you can go ahead and slap a bookmark uh, in Genesis 6. This morning we'll be looking at the narrative uh, and, and the, just the overall story of Noah. Now, Jared called me two weeks ago, roughly. Uh, uh, Gerard could not be here this morning, and, and, and Jared asked me, said, consider uh, teaching. Um, the story will be Noah. Pray about it. Get back with me. And my initial thought was Noah. I mean, Noah's Ark, right? We've all heard this story. It's... it's uh, very well known, and as I got into Hebrews 11, 7, and started doing some studying, I realized that, uh, that oftentimes we don't do Noah's Ark justice with the story that, that we tell. Now, we've spent the last three weeks uh, in Hebrews 11, kind of a, a series within the series. Uh, we're, we've been talking about the heroes of the faith. Uh, Several weeks ago, Jared started us off looking in Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, talked about the definition of faith, kind of laid the groundwork for faith. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we had Joe Pearl talk to us about Abel. Uh, verse 4 says, Abel, by faith, offered a more excellent sacrifice. Joe covered that with us. You know, reminder, Abel was subsequently murdered by his brother. Last week, Jared got with us, uh, taught us about Enoch, who Hebrews 11 says that by faith he walked with God and did not see death. And today we're going to look uh, at Noah. And it's interesting that in the first seven verses of Hebrews 11, we see Abel had faith, suffered a violent, brutal death. We see Enoch, who had faith, did not see death. And this morning we're going to look at Noah who had faith, saw death all around him, but was saved from it. 
Our verse this morning, Hebrews 11:7, says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. God, thank you for the opportunity for some who have not been in this building for a while. God, thank you for the opportunity to see their faces in here this morning. And God, we thank you for our time of worship this morning, God. And as we sang, I was reminded that your word says that you inhabit the praises of your people, God. And so we acknowledge your presence among us this morning. God, I pray that you would just put your word forth, not mine, your word forth this morning, God. And I pray that uh, you would bless uh, all of us this morning, God, by the hearing of your word. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the writer of Hebrews talking about Noah, uh, he's harking back to Genesis 6 through 9. Now Noah's ark, Noah's story, the ark, as I said earlier, might be the best known and most often told story in the Bible. Yeah, I was thinking back to the times that I've taught it in High Five or now Sanctus Kids, uh, and I actually looked online. And I just some of the the lessons that are taught with with Noah's Ark. I found some of these ranging from true to you know kind of scratch your head but some of the lessons were these obey God no matter what anyone says another one was obey God and he will save you that's one of the dangerous ones a couple that were very similar don't miss the boat which I kind of like the title there and the other one we're all in the same boat and then the other one that, that I guess for you animal lovers out there, God loves the animals, which he does. Uh, but I don't know that that's the point of Noah's Ark. So the writer of Hebrews in verse 7, in one verse, gives us a summary statement of three full chapters of Genesis. Noah's Ark, the story of Noah, takes place from Genesis 6 through Genesis 9. And the author of Hebrews sums it all up in one verse. His assumption, I believe, is that his readers know the story. They, they know it. They've heard it. They know it. So there's no need to get into detail. But because he's summing it up for us in Hebrews, I believe that we can take what he says and draw from it maybe the major takeaway from the story of Noah's Ark. And I believe in the process, we will find a very clear object lesson into the Christian faith. So if I had to title today's message, it would be that, the Christian's lessons from the faith of Noah. So Hebrews 11, 7, one more time, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Now the theme of Hebrews 11 is faith. So we're going to talk a lot this morning about faith. Okay, we're going to uh, maybe start with the general. We're going to get a little more specific. And, and the, the four major points that I want to talk about uh, this morning is 
saving faith. Where does saving faith come from? Okay, and then two very key aspects that make up a saving faith. So let's start with the fact that Noah had a saving faith. The first thing uh, that we see in the verse is that the, the author says, by faith, Noah. Anything he did after that point was by faith. Okay, his faith was not born of action. His actions were a result of his faith. In other words, he was not saved by his actions. He was saved by the faith that drove his actions. Okay, we would find in the book of James where, where James would say that Noah's faith was not dead. He did not have a dead faith. It moved him to act. Now, I think it's important to note that Noah's faith is the first example of saving faith we find in the Bible. The narrative in Genesis to this point has been the creation, Adam and Eve, the fall, Cain and Abel, and now we have the flood and Noah being saved from it. Genesis 6, 5 through 7, if you look at that, it kind of paints the picture of Noah's time for us. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Now God's plan here is to destroy mankind. Okay? Noah's faith, however, which moves him to action, saves him from the fate of the rest of mankind. We're not so different today. If you look at Romans 3, 10 through 12, it paints a, a picture not unlike what we see in Genesis 6. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Look at the Genesis 6 and then the Romans 3 and just note the superlatives in there. They are very all-inclusive statements. Okay, in Genesis 6, you have uh, every intent was only evil all the time. If you look at Romans 3, it was none righteous, no, not one. They're very, very clear-cut that it is a universal issue. Paul goes on in Romans 3, he talks about the righteousness of God being revealed. He talks about that we are justified freely by his grace. And then he concludes in verse 26 that he might be just and the justifier of one who has faith in Christ. It is our faith in Christ, just like it was Noah's faith in what God told him. It is our faith in Christ which saves us. So with the state of mankind at the time, that their wickedness was great, every intent of their heart was only evil continually, where does Noah's faith come from? Okay, Genesis 6-8 pretty well tells us, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Listen, saving faith 
is always preceded by the grace of God. Always. This week, uh, you know, we had the three days or four days of rain. And as I was sitting on the front porch watching it just pour down rain one day and listen to the rumbles of the thunder, uh, I started thinking. And according to Noah, not our Noah in the story, but the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, that Noah, I, I was just, I, I started thinking about what's the, you know, thunder lightning. You know, thunder never happens unless it's light, there's lightning. Right? Sometimes you're looking off in the distance, you can see flashes of lightning, it's very visible, and then you hear the rumbles of thunder. And then sometimes, like this week, it's all cloudy and raining, and all you hear are the rumbles of thunder. You're not really seeing the flashes of lightning. But it doesn't mean the lightning's not there. And I was thinking about just that, that picture of lightning, and then the thunder, and then grace, and then the faith. Okay? It's not a chicken or the egg argument. It's not one you're going to sit around, well, which came first, grace or faith? Okay, it's clear from Scripture that apart from the grace of God, we, we're, not, we're not righteous enough to come up with faith on our own. The Romans 3.10 passage, there's not been a single person ever that has been righteous, understood, sought God. Okay, we need somebody who's looking for us. We need somebody who is desiring to save us. We need someone who is offering to save us. Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. God's grace gave Noah the ability to have a saving faith, and his grace is what gives us the ability today to have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now we can also see from uh, Hebrews eleven seven the aspects of this saving faith. The first aspect is that Noah's faith was in a God that rightly judges sin. If you look at the verse, he says, by faith Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen. Now if you look in Genesis 6, you will find that divine warning that the writer of Hebrews mentions. God tells Noah in Hebrews 6, 13, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And then in verse 17, I myself and bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth will die. A holy God must be offended by sin to the point of doing something about it. Noah had to have believed 
that God was serious with this warning. I mean, he spent 120 years building the ark. Okay, if he hadn't have believed God was going to do that, what's the point? He worked on that thing for 120 years because he believed that God was going to bring the flood. God's character demanded then, and it demands today, that sin be punished. God did not create us for companionship because he has no need of that. He created us in his image to reflect his image, and sin has made that impossible. Because our sin has corrupted the image of God in us, the just penalty for our sin is death. If you look back into Genesis 2, you don't have to turn there, but God's command to Adam in the garden, and the Lord God commanded the man, Adam, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. All Adam had known to that point was good. The only thing he stood to gain was the knowledge of evil, okay, which he did. The knowledge of evil or sin, which resulted in our sin today, leads to death. One of the, I didn't mention this in the initial list, but one of the Sunday school lessons that I came across that I just, I, I had to reread it because I was kind of shocked by it. But the main point to teach the kids in this lesson was this, that because God is love, he promised Noah to never again bring judgment on mankind. But nothing could be further from the truth. Okay, in Genesis 9-11, God promised Noah that he would never again destroy the earth by flood. Okay, we need to understand today that God will one day again judge people. The flood was a judgment on those people during the time of Noah, and it's been a warning for all of us since. Everybody who's come after Noah can look back at the story of Noah and see that that's a, it's a warning. If you look in the, the New Testament, there's, there's more than 70 verses in the New Testament alone that talk about judgment. Hebrews 9.27, which we talked about this a month or two or six or however long we've been in Hebrews, we talked about it a while back. It says, it is, as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, what? The judgment. Peter references the flood in 2 Peter 3, 5 through 7. He's talking about people who were wondering about Jesus' return. But Peter says, for this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition or destruction of ungodly men. Okay, the final judgment is a frightening prospect except for the second aspect and the last aspect of Noah's faith, which is that Noah had a faith in a God that saves. It says he prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. It is incredibly good news that the God who judges is also the God who saves. 
It's also good news that God provides the means by which we are saved. For Noah, it was represented as an ark to escape a flood. For everyone post-cross, it is faith in Jesus Christ. And just as the ark was the singular God-given manner for Noah to be saved from the flood, Jesus is the singular God-given manner for salvation for us today. In John 14, 6, Jesus declares that he is the way, singular, the way, not a way, one of many ways. If you choose this way, it'll work. It's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Peter addressing the Sanhedrin in Acts 4.12 says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You know, I think one of my... I didn't tell you all this. I talked to Wes when I first got... I had, I had a dream. I don't mean to get sidetracked, but I had a dream last night. And when I got to a point in talking this morning... Hebrews 11.7 was not in my Bible. It was it went 11.6, 11.8, and I was just like, Arr. So I keep looking at the pages going, I hope these are in the right order. Okay, let's see what we've got up there. Do we have the ark, Wes? You got it? That is a life-size replica of the ark in Kentucky. Uh, at a place called the Ark Encounter. Anybody been to the Ark Encounter? Anybody want to go to the Ark Encounter? I think it would be very cool. Now, apart from the sheer size of that thing, it, and, and they built it according to the specs found in Genesis, but it's, it's not quite two football fields long. What struck me in looking at the picture is the tiny door. You can see it. You see the people walking around, but that, that's the door uh, in the side. When I saw that picture, I had a couple of verses that came to my mind. Matthew 7, 13, and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, and small is the gate that leads to life. John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. There was one way for Noah to escape the flood. There is one way for us to be saved today. And they are one and the same faith. Now I want to spend what's left of the time looking at some application. Okay. Look at Genesis 7, 13 through 16. It says, On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his son with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, of all flesh in which is the breath of life. So those that entered the ark, male and female of all flesh, went in, as God commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Now, there are only two types of people 
generally speaking, when you're in a church, that you have the saved, those who enter the ark, and you have those that are perishing, those that did not get on the ark. Now, notice what happened when everyone and everything was safely in the ark. The Lord shut them in. Sometimes Dee Dee and I going to bed, and she and guys, you'll 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 uh, relate to this. But some nights she'll ask me, "Did you lock the doors?" You know, some nights I remember. I clearly remember doing it. I, I got it. I did it. And then there's some nights, and I can't quite remember if I locked those doors or not. And so on those nights, what do we do? We get up, we go check the locks of the door. But when the Lord shuts the door, there's no need to wonder. There's no having to get up and go check. It is securely shut. Now for those that are perishing, that, that second group I talked about, for those that are perishing who have never recognize their sin and understood that it's separating them from God. They've certainly never gotten to the point of putting their trust in the fact that only Jesus' death on the cross can remove that sin from them. You need to understand that Jesus is the only way in which you can be saved. And when God closes the door, it will be too late to enter. It's interesting in, when God speaks to Noah in Genesis 6.13. I don't know if it's significant. I just think it's interesting. That God told Noah that he was going to destroy the, the, the earth. I'm going to destroy it. Then he tells him to build an ark. And then he gets around to tell him, I'm going to let you get on it. Okay. For those who are perishing, the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all, everybody, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God told Noah that day that the end of all flesh had come before him. You are a part of the all who've sinned, just like Noah was a part of the all flesh when God first started talking to him in Genesis 6. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. You're under the penalty of death just like everybody in Noah's day was because of sin, because of wickedness and evil. Now the good news for you this morning is that according to Romans 5.8, while we were in that condition, while we were still sinners, God demonstrated his great love for us that he sent Jesus to die on a cross. The ark or the means of salvation has been prepared for us in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The final step is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says you will be saved. To enter the door to salvation and understand that it is a door that the Lord himself will secure behind you. Now, for those who are saved, rest in the fact that your salvation is secure because the Lord himself shuts you in. Our salvation is sealed by the Spirit until the day of redemption. 
Okay, but I want you to think with me for just a minute. And this is not in the narrative, but I, I don't think it's don't think it's against scripture. But I want you to think with me for a minute what Noah must have experienced from the safety of the ark as the flood water started to rise. I wonder how many people were banging on that door. I wonder how many people he might have seen trying to build their own raft. Or maybe they thought they were good enough swimmers that they would just last this thing out. We've talked for several years here at TSF about the idea of our one. That one or more people who we have been desperately wanting to see them come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. The idea behind the one is the burden that we carry. I want to encourage you this morning, do not give up. I want to read some of y'all probably get the devotional that we, we pass out here at the church, but it was very interesting. On June 2nd, the, the devotion was about an evangelist named George Muller. And those of y'all that are familiar with George Muller, he was very well known for his prayer. He never published his needs. He just asked God to meet them, and God faithfully did. But it said he prayed regularly over a list of five men that he earnestly desired to see one to Christ. The first man gave his life to Christ after five years. That's a long time. The second and the third after 10 years, the fourth after 25 years. It says, but here's the clincher. Muller prayed for the fifth man's conversion for a whopping 52 years. In fact, the man made a profession of faith in Christ a few months after Muller's funeral. And then the qu question that's asked is, would you pray about something for 52 years without some visible sign of an answer. We have got to continue to pray. And I would, I would encourage us, I think sometimes we're, we're asking God for the thunder. And we need to go back and ask God for the lightning. We need to ask God not for what is it going to take for me to say to get this person to believe. We need to ask God to give them the grace To come to a saving faith. Paul wrote to the Galatians in, in Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary while doing good. And then he says, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. For those of us who are in Christ this morning, don't lose heart. There is a world of people Many of them we know, but there is a world of people out there. Peter wrote about Noah that he was a preacher of righteousness. What, what are you preaching? Your take on the political or social issues of the day? Trying to convince somebody that no, a mask is not necessary, or yes, a mask is all of it? 
trying to convince people whose lives matter or whatever, or are we preaching the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Because I would tell you that, that life in Christ, that's what matters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again uh, for this morning. God, I pray that if there are any who have not come to a saving faith in Jesus, God, I pray that you would give them the grace that's necessary for them to believe. God, and I pray that you would keep us as a church, as a body of believers, committed to praying for and ministering to and witnessing to a lost world. God, and I pray that we would be quick to preach the righteousness of Christ. God, the only means by which a person can be saved. God, and I pray that you would use us here in this area and beyond to grow your body. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Bennett. I appreciate it.